arrived. Yeah. The sex therapist. The sanctuary know I'm in the area. The sanctuary, okay. Who are you? Barbara. The sex therapist. I'm not a sex therapist. Trina, the sex therapist, is just parking up. You're not a sex therapist. I'm from the donkey sanctuary. And that's not a sex therapy sanctuary? Just donkeys. Just donkeys. South Weatherfield donkey sanctuary. Would you like a chocolate finger, Barbara? No. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to the 1960s. Oh, sorry, wrong podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 211 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that suggests maybe killing off some of these old stale storylines that are still kicking around. And I'm here all the way for Donkey Lady to hook up with Fish Guy. I'm Gavin. And I have a uterus. You do? I do. And, and I'm I'm an ally for your uterus. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> it's a permanently unoccupied uterus. But nevertheless, I do have one. Right. Yeah. And you ain't afraid to use it? No. I'm not sure what that means. How are you this week? Eh. No, oh, what a terrible question to ask. <laughs> um. I'm back. I had a lovely trip. Oh, yeah, you were away. Yes, yes, I had a lovely trip on the way out. We, Stella and I, uh, stopped in Manhattan and, and went to the um, American Museum of Natural History, which is where... The movie Night at the Museum is set. That's which what, is what that a, museum is famous for, obviously. It 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 kind of is. There was a line to take a selfie with Dum Dum Gum Gum. So there's a sentence you thought you were never right, going to hear. Yeah, yeah, the Easter Island figure that that calls Ben Stiller a Dum Dum and tells him to get him some Gum Gum. I have no idea what you're talking about. You've seen the movie. I don't think I have. Have I? I, I pretty sure you have don't think so we have it on dvd even don't think so Stelly loves it so much sadly the 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 little cowboy dioramas i think were were in the area where they're they're doing some work so Stelly was not able to go and see the the inspiration for the owen wilson character wow but we did see dum dum gum gum and the tyrannosaurus rex and the elephants Excellent. And the whales. So that was a lot of fun. And then we walked over to Central Park and went to... It's right the, there. It, it is it's, right it's there. It's just right there. It is literally right there. And went to see the Imagine Mosaic and sat around and Which we've sang already songs. seen together. Yeah, but Stelly had. Yeah. Stelly, famous, famous, famous Beatles fan. 13-year-old Estella Peterson. Is she? Is she famous? <laughs> she watched all of Get Back With Me. So that, well, that I think is a famous testament. Thing, I guess. Oh, it makes her a Beatles fan. Yeah, I love New York, and so I was very jealous when I heard that you were in in Manhattan yeah. without me, yeah. and and our little green Mini Cooper. Oh God, I love car. that car! Oh. I love that car so much. I want it back. I miss it so much. Yeah, we got a rental because we typically get a rental when we're driving out. We don't want to put strain on our everyday cars. Yeah. So you came back from the rental place. Plus, it's just. It's just fun it's to, fun drive to drive a new something car. new. Right. Yeah. So you came back to the rental place with this British racing green Mini Cooper. Yeah. 
and it was it was so fun to drive. It was <laughs> it really so fun was. to drive, and it was great because I never lost it in a parking lot. Nope. I was never confused about where I parked because you can see it, and you know it's yours. Unlike the red Equinox, I drive on a daily basis where at least 10 other mums in our town <laughs> also drive red Equinoxes. I've got into the wrong Equinox coming out of the QD. <laughs> I thought, why is this car so tidy all of a sudden? <laughs> so when you're in the Mini, did you ever say, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off? No. Yeah. No. But it was funny because the closer we got to the East Coast, the more Mini Coopers we saw. Mm-hmm. You know, as well as like a ton of Teslas and other expensive cars. Did you really see a ton of Teslas? Because I, I think you, you only ever see like one a month. Yeah. But yeah. I think we saw like eight. There's well, a there's yeah. a Tesla charging station at Lisbon Landing now. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Yeah. And then spent a, a nice day with my mom. Went to see Lightyear with my mom and my nephews and my daughter. It's a good movie. Yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's, it's a getting good... a lot, it's getting a lot of stick. I think it's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Is it Pixar's best? No, but that's fine. It doesn't have to be. Perfectly serviceable. Made me laugh. You can you can be a good movie without being the best movie a certain um, studio has ever produced, because that's a tall order. But anyway, and then I came home through Canada. I got to go to Canada for the first time in Canada. Like I am in you. Two years, two and a half years. Oh, it was so nice getting into Canada. And I went to Niagara Falls before I went to Canada because I wanted to go to the American side because I've been to the Canadian side twice. Yeah, and it's Blackpool, where the, waterfall. In the past <clears throat> 10 years. So yeah. it's funny that I've been to Niagara Falls three times in, in 10 years. But There you go. Yeah, I really like the American side because it's more of a park atmosphere. Yeah, it's and they, at the on the Canadian and side. And they have that statue of Tesla. It was funny, though, because when you texted me from the falls, mm-hmm. it was like still early in the day. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, I could be in Oakville in five hours. <laughs> we could meet up for some British groceries. Yeah. But that no, seemed like a ridiculous thing to do. Right. So I didn't do it. And then I didn't realise that you need to kind of book your trip over the bridge. Well, that's what they say. But then, you know, when I got there and showed the guy my QR code, he's like, no, just give me your passport. So people. it was weird having, you know, the Canadian be the jerk this time and the American guy being nice. Yeah, that's a... And typically, that's not the way the it happens. Right. But anyway, Shall I we? am home now. How was your How was your weekend without me? It was fine. It was a little... Were you lonely? It was a little bit ronery. Oh. A little bit. Yeah, Benny. You guys went to see Lightyear as well. It was funny. You We've guys already were... spoken about Lightyear. I know, but it was funny that we were in two different states and seeing it basically at the same time. That is funny. It is funny. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that maple syrup, Corey News. I thought you were going to say to infinity and beyond, Corey News. No, because it doesn't really fit that movie. No, they do say it, though. Well, t- too many times, mm. I think. Still a good movie. Yes. Anyway, Sam seems invisible on the street lately, but for good reason. As Jude Reardon has been filming a short film called Something Missing, written by Casualties Michael Stevenson and directed by Jude's own father, Paul Reardon. So he is absolutely the busiest little actor <laughs> in in the Christendom. British Isles. Yep. Yes. Good for him. Yeah. I expect him to be jumping over the pond and starting to make um, Hollywood movies here any day. Any you do? Day. Yes. Not a remake of Home Alone. 
Oh God, no! Because they just remake. They just did a remake of Home Alone. It was awful. Did that? Because the kid was awful. The kid is like a bully, and you know is oh, harassing. Oh, that. Yeah. And they make her English for some reason. Why can't she be Irish? She's got a lovely Irish accent. Charlie DeMello has not allowed any grass to grow under him as he joins the cast of The Clothes They Stood Up In to be performed at the Nottingham Playhouse. Looking up plane tickets now for the premiere. <laughs> Isn't it, whenever it, that is. It's interesting they kind of move from TV to stage is quite a, it's quite a popular route. Yes. Very different discipline, one would imagine. Right. Delivering the same thing over and over again. Right. Over several showings rather than you learn your lines once and then you forget them. Right. But still, it's kind of the same, like, scheduling of of working every day. Very busy. And, yeah. Busy, busy. Busy, 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 busy. But good. Busy. Good good for our Charlie. It looks like a, it looks like a crack and play to be. Oh, does it? To be in. And finally, some fun casting news for Coronation Street itself. <gasps> As Jodie Pregner... She of BBC talent show I'd Do Anything fame joins the cast. Oh, yeah, I remember her. Joins the cast as George's sister, Glenda, who will also sing a job working in the rovers. I'm assuming taking over Emma's empty space. Glenda Undertaker. Glenda. George and Glenda. Yeah, that happens. Kind of kind of reminds me of, of George and Martha, the, the hippopotamuses, and also the president and his wife. George Mildred. Yeah. Lots of George Anns. <laughs> uh, I, I challenge you to name two more. And that's Corey News. That is Corey News, which historically brings us now on to World Podcast for Coffee. Thank you to DS Blondie for our coffees this week. I know. How exciting <laughs> is that? And all because you took the time to make a meme. A really well-executed meme as well. I applaud because sometimes when people make those, the eyeglasses fall at like a janky rate. It's not the first time I've made a Thug Life meme. No. <laughs> yeah, I made a Thug Life meme basically in honour of the way that DS Blondie Spoke to Leanne. <laughs> yes. Which you, was awesome. You can't keep my sister here because she's a good person. Oh, oh well, I'll just, well, I'll just go get the keys then. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. And it seemed to be quite popular and quite popular with Vicky as well. Yes. Uh, who uh, buys us our coffees this week with the message, thanks for your support. Well, thank you for your support, Vicky. We really appreciate it. I'm drinking my coffee this week out of uh Talk of the Street mug. <gasps> a Talk of the Street mug? Yeah. Are those available somewhere? They're available. Funnily, you should mention that. Ah. They're available at our merch store. We have a merch store? Details of which will be available later in the podcast. Should, should you maybe just give the details now? I can't remember what they are. <laughs> you can find all of this information at vogel.co.uk. That's right. vogel.co.uk. Mm, we famously own that. <laughs> Were you drinking yours out of? Oh, I think my soup mug, by the looks of things. My I turtly love you mug. Mm -hmm. It's a good yes, mug, that. It is a good mug, because it's shaped like a turtle. And it fits a whole tin of soup in it. <laughs> with room to dip some bread. Oh. Which not all of our mugs do. That's true. Yeah, thanks again to Vicky for uh, for buying us our coffees. If you want to buy us next week's coffees, you can go to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash... 
the talk of the street. You think for all the memes that I've made of Mr. Osborne as a fanny that we anyway, let's not go down that road. And now new tubes. This is a section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. We hit half a million views this week. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Still about 50 or 60 subscribers away from the 1,000 mark, so I'm about, about a month behind in my projections, which is disappointing because doing projections like this is part of my job. Oh, well, don't tell my boss. You are your boss. <laughs> <laughs> We've got the regular stuff, we've got last week's podcast, we've got last night's Corey in under four minutes, and our extra is the superb cut that I've been working on for the last six months, which is Blanche's best bits from the year 2000 episodes of Classic Corey. Half an hour off Blanche quips and put downs. Mm. It's a good half hour. Sounds it. It's a fantastic half hour, actually. The last clip in particular is just wonderful. You know, I haven't played that, that Coronation Street phone game in a long time that had Blanche and Ken in it. I played Remember it for that? I think 10 minutes and then got bored with it. It was just find all those all the words. It was a word game thing wasn't it? Right yeah but then you got to design like the inside of the rovers and the inside of Ken's Which flat. doesn't interest me in the slightest. No. Didn't, didn't your ex-husband get us a Coronation Street game? Oh yeah with that was it, was it John or was it my mum? I think maybe it was John. It's like a DVD game. We have a DVD we player We don't have now. a DVD player. No, we do. We can go play that game. We can. Let's do that right now. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, if that tickles your fancy, head over to youtube.com slash the Talk of the Street podcast, smash that subscribe button, and treat the notification bell with extreme violence. What? And now, this. No. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Make Daisy Great Again. Make Daisy Great Again. Was this when Daisy travelled to America and, and tried to run for president? That's right. This was Daisy travelling to America. No, this was Daisy <laughs> offering to buy the deposit for the rovers for Jenny. And Jenny thought Daisy was a bit too Make Daisy Great Again. Oh. I was Gavin and you were ready to be footloose and fancy free. Yes, we don't get that opportunity this, this year. No. Children. Thanks to band camp and soccer camp. Right. <laughs> Damn it. That meant road trips, dead presidents and R-rated movies. And we didn't know where we were going to be next week this time last year. Oh. And similarly, we don't really know where we're going to be next week. This week. We can narrow it down to two states. We'll either be in Colorado or Utah. Probably Utah. But yeah. where, where, where precisely? Where precisely in Utah? Who knows? So we need to figure out how we're going to do something like this. Or something like the Dollywood episode that we put together last right. week. Oh God, that was so much fun. That was like my favourite thing of all time. <laughs> because because of the fact that, that Jane and, and Georgia did the whole Dollywood thing. Yeah. That was God, I love special. them. That was it, was. it was very special. It was very special. You know, I just—they're such good people, we, and and willing to play along. For those who don't know, uh, <laughs> we were in Dollywood round about this time last year, and on the Twitter for the talk of the street, we'd been talking about characters who say London, London. Whenever London gets mentioned, or somebody going to London is always re responding with a London. 
And so we were in Dollywood, and I think I tweeted something out to George and Jane saying, you know, if if you want to say Dollywood in that style, I, I wouldn't complain about it. Mm-hmm. And they did, from their own homes. Right. <laughs> Took time out of their own days to be part of a silly joke as we were walking around Dollywood. It was, right. it was quite exceptional. Yes, yes, we we watched... We watched the clips of them while we were on the Dollywood train. Yeah, good times. So with Harvey's trial fast approaching, the rubber is hitting the road for Sharon and Leanne, which hopefully won't give Natasha cause to shout at Nick again. The frequency of summer's toilet visits gives Billy some cause for concern over a Father's Day meal and forces him to reconsider a promise that he made to Todd. Advice from Bernie gives Gemma some food for thought regarding Alad's implant operation. Nina's gift for Roy would bring a tear to a glass eye. Emma and Curtis's attraction to each other continues to fall victim to their own misunderstandings. The double glammy pyramid scheme, double glammy, approaches critical mass when Daisy tries to secure a bank loan and Sean tries to expand. And thanks to Alina, Tyrone's midlife crisis takes another look forward as he becomes the proud owner of a motorcycle and the reluctant owner of a Romanian flag on his leg. That tattoo is a year old. And we've, when was the last time we saw it? A year ago? <laughs> Uh, 51 weeks ago I think we've seen it twice Paul's kumquat is too sour Rita is scheming and no one is joining the territorial army our moment of the week was Daniel screwing over Daisy's double glammy scheme and a boring moment of the week was Billy talking about Nicole Kidman's coat and that was Coronation Street right the in, Street, that, the in, that, year. in that um, mini series she was with with Hugh Jackman where he was the body and she was his wife and it takes four episodes, six episodes for her to figure out that her husband is evil. Not Hugh Jackman. Why did I say Hugh Jackman? Hugh Grant. Oh my God, I got my Hughes mixed up. That's all right. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now we have an extra episode to talk about because you were on the road last Friday, so we yeah. didn't talk about that. So let's quickly go through the highlights of what happened last Friday. Right. Max's friends convince him to take Sonia out for dinner as she's from a wealthy family and won't be impressed by his house. Meanwhile, Bernie thinks Gail's bronze tie elephant is cursed and Audrey shows no signs of laying off the booze. Brian and Cathy make up, but after further consideration, she decides that she can't move to Cornwall with him and this means that they're splitting up. So Cathy has an emotional farewell with Brian, Alex, Yasmin and Roy before she drives off in Roy's Woody. I think that was the moment of the week for last week. It would have been uh, Brian's realisation that this is it. Yeah. Because the two of them in the the cabin with each other, I thought, Mm -hmm. was just lovely. Because Brian was really upset. Yeah. And Cathy was more kind of pragmatic about it. Yeah. Cathy was not upset. Well, she was a little sad. She was sad. but Yeah. yeah. But she, yeah, she knew it was time to go. But Brian, uh, Brian's... Emotion was getting me emotional. Well, he fucking deserved it. He did. But <laughs> but Peter Gunn is... Right. You forget how good an actor he is because he doesn't get chances to do things like this all right. that often. Yeah, it's true. Because when he did that, he was extraordinary. Even good. in his movie roles, he doesn't get a chance to do this sort of thing that often. Really? Yeah. That's disappointing. Yeah. yeah. I, I still think this was a crappy way for Kathy to go out. Utterly shit way for her to go out. Utterly shit. Utterly shit. And does the character and the exceptional actress no favours. No. And to get her to move to just another bit of Manchester. Right. At least send her to 
we send it to Scotland. Right. Or Thailand. Or Australia. Yeah. Or America. Even the uh, even the poison pen stuff from last year. Right. It would have been a better way to go out under that kind of umbrella. Right. It wouldn't that still wouldn't have been great, but it would have been better. Yeah. Anyway, Debbie anyway. notices that there's money stolen from the company account and Leanne has to admit that she took it to pay for Toya's new lawyer and promises to pay it back. Toya is released on bail but remains distant from Leanne, who she thinks doesn't believe her anymore. And Debbie points out that it that what Leanne did was illegal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jack- Which Leanne doesn't seem to care about. Jack overhears Kev and Debbie talking about how Tyrone was his mum. Was was, was his mum. Tyrone was his mum. <laughs> Tyrone was... I can see it. I can see Tyrone there, and Kev having a torrid a affair. Line. There's a story. Yes. Line. Yes. Make it so. How Tyrone was with his mum and how Tyrone thought Jack was his. But it all blows over very quickly when Tyrone reveals how much Kev, Abby and him, they all love Jack. And that's in the past and everyone's friends now, so who cares about your history? Abby gets supervised Are your own personal feelings about the fact that this has been kept from you your whole life? Don't care about that. Abby gets supervised custody of Alfie and moves in with her supervisor, I guess. It's only Wendy Flaming Crozier. Or Wendy Flaming... Papadopoulos. Wendy Flaming Papadopoulos. And that was last Friday's episodes, which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Already? No, because we haven't gotten to Tim's... I just wanted to get an idea of, take a, a temperature gauge, if you like, ah. of the, the Corey audience as oh. to which one of these storylines, oh, some, oh, some of these is... are, are more prevalent this week than others, but they're all kind of active storylines. Which one of these Corey storylines story lines has I, outstayed its welcome I the most? This was all the Tim one. I was very confused. Never mind. Carry on. Was it Tim's Bobby issues? Was it Audrey getting pished? Was it Summer's Woe collection? Or the Fizz Tyrone shenanigans. And the Fizz Tyrone shenanigans, I don't think, is really doesn't really earn its place that well. Mm. But I was really expecting Audrey getting pished to be pretty high in the in the rankings. But no, it's it wasn't somewhere it, all the it way. was last. Audrey getting pished was nine point six percent, Fizz and Tyrone ten point eight, Tim's Bobby eighteen point five, but a remarkable sixty one point one percent thought that Summer's Woe collection has definitely outstayed its welcome. And when you think that it's been going on for a year, yeah, that's maybe... Yeah. That maybe feels about right. Yeah. But yeah, I was expecting more for Audrey. All right, let's dive into this week's storylines then, and we will start with Max Cringe <laughs> on Monday. Max, I'm going to say... I'm going to warn you now. I'm going to say Shona instead of Sonia and vice versa probably all the way through this. Shona and Sonia. It's just, they're far too close. Sure. And then now we've got a Stephen, a Stephen in the show. Jesus. Anyway, we'll get to that. On Monday, Max is texting Sonia, Sonia, Sonia. The big day is still on and he wants a haircut in preparation. David claims to be busy as fuck at work with Greta Thunberg off, but finally agrees to take care of it. Max meets up. Fuck you, Dave. (laughs) Max meets up with his mates at the bus stop and the chat immediately goes to his hot date. His mate inquires if Max is packing heat. And hands Max a condom from his anorak pocket. And Max and the audience vomit in their mouth a little bit at that. Why is this child walking about with a a spare condom just like to 16. hand out like like it's a bit of drugs or something or a 
He probably took it from his big brother's bedside table that morning. If someone was to offer me a condom at a bus stop, I would out of thank, an anorak. I would thank them, but politely decline. Yes. Thanks. There's a shop right over there. I'll buy my own. <laughs> right. Because you don't know how long that that's been in that anorak. Exactly. You know, he does weird things to condoms and other things made out of latex. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's a latex one and not like a <laughs> sheepskin one. You're assuming that? That's a, that's a leap in the dark, isn't it? Not really. They make sheepskin condoms these yes. days? Yes, they do. Fuck off, they don't. Anyway, Max is off for a posh wank. Anyway, he turns up at the barber's for his haircut, but David, don't look up sheepskin condoms because it, it, it isn't important. <laughs> it's important to me. But David is too busy cutting the hair of an actor in a non-speaking role, so Maria in pink takes care of it. As he's in the chair, Max gets a text from Sonia asking for some saucy pics of Max's Bobby to get her in the mood for their date later. And Max is a gog. Yeah. Trojan even makes natural lamb condoms. Ask the lamb how natural it is. $38.71 because some people are allergic to latex. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm want, guessing that wee boy doesn't have that. And you don't want your bobby to break out in hives, do you? I'm guessing that that wee boy hasn't spent 38 bucks on a bit of lamb for his bobby. <laughs> you get them on Amazon. 15 bucks for 36. Excellent. Max rushes home after his haircut and then quickly runs up the stairs to take photographs of his genitals, which he then intends to text to Sonia. This is just just a public service announcement for Max and for all boys in general. No girl of any age wants to see that. No girl is going to ask you to send a picture of that. Nobody, nobody, they don't, they don't care. That's not, I mean, it's important, but it's not important as a picture. Our brains don't work that way. Mm. Whose brains do work that way? Boys. And there is, there is a clue to the situation. Mm. I just found it really strange that I think we're led to believe that at no point during their friendship together, Max right. and Sonia have spoken to each other about the texts that they've been sending each other. Right, yeah. He sees her <laughs> in school. He's he's not talking to her in school about these texts that they've been sending. That she he makes this date a number of days in advance. He doesn't like confirm with her at the bus stop right then and there about their date coming up. Similarly not. This is so dumb. So he goes to get her off the bus and the two of them seem to be speaking at cross purposes as Max hints at a surprise that he has planned for her. And that the beast of Sonia is taken by surprise right enough at the lengths that Max has gone to. Max starts talking about their text messages together and it's clear that she has no idea what he's talking about and rather than it being a date, she's just there to discuss a film project that they've been working on together. Uh. But I sent you a picture of my bell end, screams Max. But Sonia has only gotten a text from an unknown number claiming to be Max and suggesting this working lunch type thing. Furious, she storms out, leaving Max to worry, worry about just who he sent the picture of his bobby to. Right. The one thing that they did right in this is mm-hmm. her rage and, at this. Uh, yeah, and freaking is, out. Which is completely justified, right? Absolutely, yes. But again, they were friends already in real life why didn't they 
You'd think that they would have exchanged numbers, especially if they're working on projects together. Yeah, I think it was the start of last week that they began texting flirtatiously to each other. Right. Yeah. So we're just to assume that they didn't speak to each other at all, or when they did speak to each other, they never they, spoke about the text messages. Right, yeah, which does not make sense. Because if either of those things happened, this storyline doesn't get to happen. Right, mm. which maybe would have been a good thing, yeah. for so a number of reasons. Max gets a text from the supposed Sonia, gives a grand or everyone gets to see your scrotum, and Max panics. He rushes home and bites off David's head when he asks how the date went. He meets up with his mates later and explains the situation. His mates first suggest going to the police, but then change their mind as it could lead to Max getting done for being a pedo. Max decides that he has to find the money to pay the bad guys off, not realising the obvious fact here that, that the bad guys are his supposed friends. Right. Back home, Max tells Sonia... Nope. Back home, Max tells Shona that Sonia isn't who he thought she was. No kidding. Mm. Shona suggests a takeaway to cheer everyone up and points him to David's wallet, which is obviously lying out in the kitchen and not in David's pocket. Right. So Max calls David's bank right. and tries to move money, but fails when the call handler asks for a security code. Max gets home and David already knows that someone has tried to hack into his bank account. Max acts all shocked and hurt that they would accuse him, but David's having none of it. Right. And he threatens to call the cops, which would mean Max going to jail because he's on a suspended he's, sentence. Right. Max comes clean. He sent a photo of his genitals <coughs> to someone he thought was Sonia, and now he's being blackmailed. Oh, and by the way, Sonia's underage. And it seems that David and Shona are fairly relaxed about this until they realise that Sonia's underage. Which is 15. Yeah, and it's funny that, you know, David's like, well, we could just go to the police and you could see on Shona's face. No, we can't because she seems to understand better the fact that sending a nude picture of yourself to another teenager is bad (laughs) on so many levels. Yeah. You need to pay them off, says Max. Otherwise, everyone he knows could see the pics or the baddies could go at the police themselves. Right, yeah. So, yes, you need to pay these people off. Mm-hmm. I made this huge mistake, and you need to pay for it. Now you fix it, <laughs> right? I've done enough here causing this problem. This kid... I'm going to sit over here while you fix it. This kid just does not learn. No, and every time you think that he has... Right. Oh, this will be the thing that will change him into an empathetic, kind person. It's never going to happen. No. No, if almost dying isn't going to fix it. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Nothing is. Um, yeah, but- it seems like the show has forgotten about that too. Wow, that's another insurance claim on the on the barbers, wasn't it? Yeah. On Wednesday, Shona drags Max to the barbers. He's refusing to go to school until the blackmailers have been paid, but David has no intention of paying and threatens Max with grounding if he doesn't get his arse to school. That was quite a funny scene because Max is like, well, what, what if I don't go to school? And David sighs, well, I'll take your phone, I'll take your laptop, I'll right, change yeah. the Wi-Fi password. And Sounded familiar, didn't it? Yeah, too, too familiar. <laughs> and as Max turns around and kind of wanders, he's like, yes, yes, yes. There's a kind of mm-hmm. realisation that, yeah, you you control all these things. Right. But Is that da- when he calls him Dave? No. But then David checks his online banking and sees that he doesn't have a thousand pounds anyway. yeah. At the bus stop, Max is talking to his pals about his predicament. They both seem to think it's funny and they start quoting Max's text to Sonia back to him and he realises at that point that they're obviously the ones who've been catfishing him. He can't believe that he fell for it, but at least he doesn't have to find a grand anymore. Looking on the bright side, right. there's Max for you, right? Right, yeah. Oh, but you're my mates. You, you you don't really want 
money from me. You're not really extorting me. But his mates still want his money, and now they seriously start bullying him, getting getting them to go down on all fours and squeal like a pig, like Ned Beatty did in Deliverance. Yeah. Max starts to fight back, just as Shona comes round the corner, and as she tries to split them up, Max accidentally elbows her in the nose, giving her more brain damage and a stomach coma. Right. Max's pals leave, laughing maniacally, while Shona orders Max to get his arse back home now. Can we... We should, really shouldn't be calling them his pals. No, they're not his pals. No, they never were. No. They're just shitty kids. Which, remember, we're in the pupil referral unit here. Right, they're supposed yeah. to be shitty kids. Right, yeah. The fact that he was supposedly, he's found all these pals and he's right. got a girlfriend now. Right. She seems a bit too good to be Right, I'm wondering what, what put her in this program, mm. being wealthy supposedly supposedly right maybe not because they could be lying although you know she does say when she goes to the bus stop that one time she's like oh my dad couldn't take me in so they have a car so they have to have (laughs) some semblance of wealth when it comes to this community a semblance of wealth a semblance of wealth david comes home to complain about the events in another storyline and sees the state of shona's face Max brings him up to speed and blames David for not paying his friends off. All of this is David's fault, and he seems to think it makes a difference that he intended to send a photo of his genitals to a 15-year-old girl. He will never learn. Yeah, I didn't mean to send it to blackmailers. I meant to send it to a 15-year-old girl, for God's sake. Right. Who supposedly asked for it. A 15-year-old girl is never going to ask for a picture of your junk. Ever. Unless it is for blackmail purposes. Yeah, it would have been a lot more interesting if she had been in on it. Oh, yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah, see how a simple change like that could have just (laughs) made all the difference. (sighs) David sends him to his room, but Max calls David Dave and storms out just like the old Max. (laughs) And that's as far as we get with that this week. I don't think David works as a Dave. No. Dave called David Dave, as I was reminded by Chris Anstey. Dev called David Dave. There's mm-hmm. too many V's in Far one sentence. Far too difficult to say. But, uh, yeah, that, I, I just don't think it works. Yeah. But it, is, it works better with Dev saying it than Max. But, but it's still funny that it's happening given how right. David calls his mum Gail. Right, yeah. And also, the facial reaction of Jack P. Shepard when he calls him Dave was yeah, great. and Shona's as well. Which, well Shona was kind of laughing behind her hand. Yeah, so this is funny. I don't know. Well, the the Dave part was funny. Yeah. But let's remember, the plots are involved in another storyline this week in which bits of it are meant to be funny and why, 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 why are we adding (laughs) comedy to a fairly tragic storyline for the plots? Yeah, we will get to that last. Yes, yes, as, as it deserves. As this deserves as well. Oh my God, can we just not with Max anymore? Because, you know, when I first heard the storyline was coming up, I kind of rolled my eyes at it because it's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Well, I kind of feel like we've boy, done this already. Boy who, Asha. boy who has constantly done things either directly or indirectly to, to girls finally gets his comeuppance and that's that's what's going to change him and make him realize what he put summer and 
and Amy through and he's finally going to realize and he's finally going to gain empathy. But then we don't even get that. That would have been awful enough that we have yet another storyline where a man learns a lesson off the off the backs of of women's pain and suffering. But (laughs) he's he's not even learned his lesson now. He's still so entitled. And there's I don't understand what has occurred in this child's life to make him feel so entitled because he's not in an entitled family. It's not had an easy life. He's not had an easy childhood. And maybe, no. that, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's not an entitlement, but maybe it just has made him just think so poorly of his family and and himself because he's not had an easy time of it because he's, his biological parents are dead right and he finds himself in the under the power of this short statured <laughs> hairdresser right barber with uh with a wife whose son killed his mum yeah because clayton yeah. killed kylie right so so uh, as old max famously said to <laughs> To, to PC Tinker, <laughs> right. why? Why wouldn't I be fucked up? Right. How is any of this real or natural? Right. How am I? How am I supposed to deal with one aspect of this? Never mind the kind of circular circular reference that we've got going here with, um, with, with Kylie. But one would think that because his life has been so fucked up his whole life, that maybe he would <coughs> have some some inborn empathy towards the fuck upness of life for other people. You know, the, the not being great at school and struggling in school and having a hard time with school, I think, I think fits because, because it does, because he's, he's grown up in a family where so much is going on all of the time that nobody's really had a chance to really focus on him. Yeah, and I think the, the bit that he's good at, because he's not good at the academic side of it, right. but it does seem to have... If Daniel is to be believed, an artistic some bet. talent, right? Yeah, and, and that that fits this kind of profile as well. I think mm-hmm. you, know, you, you come from a you come from that background, and mm-hmm. you're probably going to be um, maybe better at at the the creative side of it, the artistic side mm-hmm. of it than the being able to sit down and learn your eighteen times table or whatever. Right? Yeah. But uh, but again, being artistic and being able to take a lens and and create a record of life in an, an artistic way, one would think, would allow oneself to develop a certain amount of empathy for humanity. Well, yeah, the artistic side is all about putting your yourself in other people's shoes, really. Right, and granted, there is a. A long list of of men in the arts who have been complete and utter shitbags and terrible to women and to other people. And that list just keeps on growing. Seems to be working then. Right, let's move on to a short one, this one. This is the tail end of the reinventing Brian thing. This is the thing that always happens when a character leaves. Right. You have a little bit the following episode to see them. How were they coping, right? Right. So Monday, Evelyn drops into the cabin and learns from Rita that Brian is missing in action after opening up this morning. 
opened up the cabin this morning. Right, yes, not Rita. No, she hasn't been answering <laughs> his phone. Evelyn, uncharacteristically perhaps, is concerned for Brian after the events of last week. Her hunt takes her to uh, Roy's, where he remarks that Brian is a sensitive soul and these developments will have hurt him deeply. And this strengthens Evelyn's resolve to find him, concerned that he'll be off to attempt to kick the fuck out of Jim Fizz. Which would never happen. No. They finally meet in Roy's roles a little bit later and Evelyn is relieved that he's not dead. Instead, Brian has refreshed his wardrobe for the summer. And has bought a... a has, has raided Sean's closet from <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say it's a velour shirt. It's not velour, but it's it's that kind of shiny... It's like that shiny polyester right. from the 70s. It's got, this makes me sweat written all over yes, it. Yes, it does. <laughs> and it doesn't have a volume button. No. He's also been bathing in aftershave and Evelyn thinks that he smells of a Turkish brothel. Brian doesn't care and in a high-pitched voice says that he's fine after he's split with Cathy. Evelyn isn't convinced and tells him to sit. She explains that Brian is suddenly trying to reinvent himself, but he's a boring old man just like Roy. But Roy is comfortable <laughs> in his own skin and apron. It's the inner man that matters and nothing Brian could look like or smell like On the is outside. going to make the blindest bit of difference. On the inside. And that's what happens in that storyline this week. Yes. So good luck to you, Brian. It was, yeah, because <laughs> practically all the way through that, you're thinking, why does Evelyn care about this? Right. And then at the end, when she's kind of rude to him, mm-hmm. okay, fine, we'll just let it go. Right. I think it's more she was friends with Kathy, so she feels a responsibility. Was to... she even friends with Kathy though? She was. Was she? Yeah. Hmm. Evelyn doesn't really have friends. She has friends. She has Nina and Roy. And she has Fizz. Fizz, yeah. And um, Yasmin. All ah. the la- oh, and Toya. All the ladies who go and with their placards and protest things. That one time years things. ago that I've never spoken to each other since. Those, that, those that's ladies? That's not true. Nina and Evelyn still talk. Anyway, another short one coming up from Monday. This is Wendy Flaming Crozier. Papadopoulos. Knee Papadopoulos. Or maybe the other way around, knee Crozier. Anyway, on Monday at Wendy's, Abby is very quick to jump to Alfie's demands at the first sound of a whimper. And Wendy tells him, uh, tells her to give it a minute. And right enough, Alfie calms down after an hour or two. <laughs> Abby has forgotten how to raise babies, it seems. And later, Abby catches Wendy making notes and then she gets a little bit mardy about the person supervising her doing her job. To make it up to her, Wendy suggests that they go out for a cuppa. And Abby swings... Uh, and Abby suggests swinging by to see Kev on Coronation Street, which makes Wendy uncomfortable, but she eventually agrees. And Wendy's like, look, I'm just making notes here that are for my benefit more than right. anything else, just so I can remember things. None of this is right. really bad. And what do you expect, right. basically? You're yeah. a donkey. This is, and this is part of the course, that notes would be taken. Right. Come on. Back on Coronation Street, Abby is weirded out a bit by Wendy jogging by the door of number one. But mm. before she can question her too deeply about it, Kev appears. Hello, stranger. And Abby rushes off to give him a hug and a sponge bath. <laughs> Actually, though, Kev is looking a, a good bit better this week. Is is So this is when he's clean-shaven. It's later on that his beard grows back magically. Oh, it's starting to, to grow back a little bit. He's got a little bit of stubble. <laughs> but it does look like he's at least combed his hair, maybe, a little bit. Maybe. Doesn't look quite as smelly. Oh. Abby and Kev share a cup and discuss Wendy and her shiftiness. Kev reckons that he's seen her somewhere before, but he can't quite put his finger on it. Speaking of the devil, like that. Wendy appears and insists that it's time for Abby and Alfie to leave to their uh, clinic appointment. 
So Abby and Wendy are just about to head home after their appointment when they have to go by Tracy, who recognises Wendy immediately and calls her a witch, telling Abby that Wendy is a crook and an evil cow. Wendy and Abby rush off as Tracy continues to hurl abuse from outside the florist, which mm. is quite funny. Yes. It's good to see Tracy like that every now and again, isn't yes. it? Yes. You mean like actually being Tracy? Tracy yeah. yeah. Back home, Abby is keen to get the goss from Wendy, but she will only reveal that she and Ken have a history together and things didn't end too well. She assumed it was water under the bridge, but judging by Tracy's reaction, apparently not. Wendy refuses to say any more other than Abby isn't the only one with a few skellingtons in her cupboard. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Wendy seemed on Friday to be a more mysterious character. Hmm. But there, this week, on Monday, she was... She seemed a little bit friendlier, I think. Maybe. Maybe yeah. just a bit friendlier. Well, she didn't seem unfriendly on Friday. We don't We don't really see enough of her. Yeah, the instant reaction from Cena in her expression, though, was that she was going to be a bit of a hard, hard nose... Really? I didn't get that feeling. I did. Maybe it's because you have, you know the whole Wendy thing. I had to remind myself of it. Yeah, but you're aware of it, whereas I was not aware of it at all. Right. So, it it didn't mean anything to me when yeah. the camera panned onto her. The big I like, reveal. I was like, oh. It's Mike Myers from <laughs> and Dr. Evil, guys. Sure. Sure. Wow. Anything else about that? Wow, 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 wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what Wendy is going to do to continue to ruffle the feathers here. Well, I'm, I have a feeling she's eventually going to come clean to Abby exactly why. Because I, I have a feeling that there are a lot of people who are either A, like you, and have to remind yourself about what Wendy was. Yeah, because this was back in the 80s. The, right. Well, the late 80s, 80s. It was a while ago. Yeah. Or be like me and have no association with this character at all. She had a she had an affair with Ken. Right. Which led to Ken and Deirdre getting divorced. Right. So clearly Tracy is still harboring very negative emotions. From 20 this. years ago. From how many years ago? 13 years ago. You said late 80s, though. Yeah, it was 89. 89, 90. All right. It's still not 20 years ago. Right, yeah. But still, I mean... I I don't hate any of my dad's ex-wives or the women that my dad had affairs with. No, you just hate your dad. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you you, 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 put the, them, right? you put the responsibility on the correct person here, right. Tracy. How would you like to speak about Tim's Bobby again? Uh, only if it involves donkeys. It does. Oh, well, I'm in luck this week then. <laughs> on Monday at number four, ahead of his latest appointment with the doctor, Tim is worried that the latest medication change hasn't worked. Sally recommends going to see what the doc has to say and if there's nothing that can be done, there's always golf or wakeboarding, which surprised me. Tim cuts a sorry figure as he explains the medical change hasn't helped to Dr. Gadas. Who Ga- is looking fabulous these as days. Always, oh, I, I like her hair. I mean, I liked the short hair too, but 
I don't know. There's something there's something about the longer hair that just adds some fabulousness. <laughs> there is a potential for fabulous, definitely. Mm. So Tim explains that the medication change hasn't helped. Gadass thinks it's mental. I fucking crazy, and it says Tim, who's Scottish for some reason now. Gadass thinks a meeting with a sex therapist might help, and Tim's eyes pop out of his baldy head. Tim meets Sally later on Maxine's bench and explains how the appointment went. Sally seems keen on the idea of a sex therapist and suggests that they go private. And later, Sally sets the appointment up for tomorrow, so they must have gone private then. Tim is initially worried about the shame and the cost, mostly the cost, but eventually comes round to the idea. On Wednesday, Sally and Tim are out in public talking about the sex therapist, which gets Tim all hit up. She rushes off to get some chocolate fingers for a joke that will be needed in a later scene. Yes. There's been a woman collecting for a donkey charity in previous scenes. Right. She's spoken to Gary and Maria. We got some some chuckles out of that, didn't we? Right, yeah, because apparently there are two rival donkey sanctuaries <laughs> in the same town. One yeah. on the north side and one on the south side. Do you want to, uh, do you want to adopt a donkey? Gary says, you've got to be kidding, I live in a, live in a flat. <laughs> so anyway, that woman... She mm. now shows up at number four and Tim thinks that she's a sex therapist so there's lots of miscommunication just for comedy. Tim invites her in for a start and when she's surprised, he says that he doesn't want to conduct her business on the doorstep. Most people do, she says, and he's fascinated by this. And then she asks how he feels about donkeys. He thinks this is weird and offers her a chocolate <coughs> finger. And then Sally comes in, pleased to see that a sex therapist has arrived so the donkey sanctuary woman has to make her excuses and leave. Right. That... And, and that Sally's, donkey woman was in it more than Sally was this week. Mm, yes, because we later see her trying to rebuild her courage to speak to strangers about doggies, the right. rovers later. Right. <laughs> so once the real sex therapist arrives, after Tim has donated to the donkey thing. Right, yeah. 50 quid. Because he kind of feels like he has to. He's obliged, yeah. She well, gets, it's what Tiny would have wanted. See, I was, I was a little disappointed that there was no mention of Tiny. Right. Because Tim does have a history with four-legged animals. A- animals of this nature. Yes, beasts of burden. <laughs> right. Well done, Sally. <laughs> she gets Tim and Sally to look in each other's eyes. Tim finds it too weird, starts laughing, and the sex therapist at this early stage reckons that she's starting too quickly. After the session, the therapist asks them to keep off the nookie for a few weeks, but to explore other ways to be intimate with each other. She leaves, and Tim is furious that this shite advice has cost them money. And later, Tim is trying to avoid the sex therapist and hides in the community garden where Aggie is reading a book. And Tim inadvertently starts complaining about Sally and her wacky ideas, but in doing so, he realises that he doesn't have any better ones and that maybe he should support her ideas until he has a solution of his own. So he goes and gets Sally flowers and goes home to apologise for his reaction. Without any real without any real advice from Aggie. No, she just, just wants to read her fucking book. Right. <laughs> he apologises for his reaction, but whilst well, he's British, so, you know. Anyway. Right, that was really funny, the whole the whole we're British thing. Yeah, no sex, please, we're British. <laughs> anyway, this is the two of them against the problem, not each other. So he's happy to try some of the therapist's suggestions. So Tim and Sally are kneeling on their living room floor and trying to look into each other's eyes again. And this time, they both end up pushing themselves laughing and Sally goes off to make a brew. And I thought that was quite lovely. Because Sally's laughter seemed utterly genuine. Yes. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Tim is trying to uh, do some banter and flattery with Sally, pretending that Sally's beauty is making him blind. Right. But, but no one picks up on what he's doing. Right, and, and so they all freak out thinking he's having a stroke. And Roy rubs Tim's face with a damp cloth. 
They're working on their intimacy and Tim arranges a lunch date at the bistro. When Sally goes, Aggie comes in and she seems to be a bit put out by Tim and Sally getting on. And it was a little bit where uh, Sally has written the things that give her joy. Right. And she's written a little essay. Right. Things that give me joy by Sally Metcalf. Right. And it's think Old movies. Cheshire. Right. Sally things. Right. And Tim's things are Weddy County, Paul Weller and Cheese. Wasn't there a fourth thing? No, there's three things. It's comedy, so there's the rule of three. <laughs> Gav just said the rule of three while holding up four fingers. Well, that's comedy for you. Yes, it's podcast comedy. Yeah, it works brilliantly <laughs> in the audio medium. Yes. So later, Tim and Aggie bump into each other again, and Aggie reveals that she and Ed are having issues too. It seems like they've had a bit of an argument, and Aggie can't get a hold of Ed to sort it out. Tim would love to chat, but he has to hurry off for lunch. So the bistro, Sally has made Tim a cravat at work so she can look like Paul Weller, who's Tim's hero. So he can look like Paul Weller. Sally chats to Tim again about the intimacy thing, but Tim is distracted by Ed sitting at the bar. Pissed off, Sally goes off for a shite, allowing Tim to text Aggie, saying that He's at the bar. He's in the bistro. Mm-hmm. And at the bar, we learn that the cause of the argument is Aggie wanting Ed to hound Toya for rent. Oof. That was a little bit out of the blue. Yeah, I didn't even realise that, that Ed and Aggie owned that flat. Yeah, of course they do, but it never crossed my mind either. So, but, Aggie's kind of in the rug here. <laughs> she's a bit of a cow, yeah. For Toya. I don't Who killed like, her husband? Well, poor Toya. <laughs> Who killed but, her husband? Back from her shite. Sally's talking about Dr. Zhivago, but Tim is still texting Aggie because Ed's leaving now. Sally is apoplectic with rage and storms off in a huff. And at home, Sally's still pissed and Tim explaining that he's worried about Aggie and Ed doesn't help matters and she goes back off to work. She took a half day off for this as well. Amaro Sally's in the community garden and tells Steve about how she thinks that Tim has finally lost interest in her, blaming the age difference between the two of them. Steve insists that Tim adores her, but Sally thinks adored, past tense. Steve points out that Tim never joins in with the anti-wife banter. So that <laughs> proves that he still loves her. Well, let's see. Who's Steve having anti-wife banter with then? Just Tim and Eileen. Because... His best mates are Tim, who loves his wife, and Dev, who has no wife. So, and Eileen, who has no wife. So, who is it just him complaining about? I think that's what we're meant to imply. Tracy, all yeah, the time. Fair from that, yeah. Weird. Next, I- Steve meets up with Tim and the Rovers, and as Tim is about to quiz him on whether he's spoken to Sally or not, Sally appears, now keen to finish off talking about Dr. Zhivago. And this time, Tim pays attention and is even able to explain what Sally was talking about. They go home to eat cheese, listen to Paul Weller, and watch Weather County. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Not, not Weather County live, though. No. Like a, a taped... He's taped the cup final or a cup match or something like that. From like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was very excited about the prospect of watching it again. Have you ever watched sport for a second time? Like you watch sport live and you think... You know, I'm going to watch that again. I don't think I've ever done that. Only in clips. Right, you know, like, like when you're watching like a documentary and, you know, and it comes up. Or like there have been, there have been some really exciting moments in sport within my lifetime. 
And sometimes, you know, there'll be a clip of like just the exciting bit of the match or the game on YouTube. And you watch that and you get that clip and you get that feeling that you got from when you watched it the first time. You watch the whole thing. Yeah, but you don't watch the whole game. Not the whole three hour baseball game. No, no, no. I don't think, you know, I often think about the when the when the Red Sox won the World Series for the first time. Since 1918. You know, I often think about it, but I think I often think about it from like our reaction at home Mm. more more than anything. And I sometimes think about the Cubs winning the World Series after an even longer time. But when I think about that, I kind of just think about Bob Newhart and 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 Bill Murray. I think about Bill Murray and their reactions and everything and how happy those two old white men are because <laughs> i was in chicago when that happened right and i remember watching it on tv in my hotel room uh-huh. well i watched bits of it because baseball is really boring oh fuck you you it watch is. darts darts is great though <laughs> baseball is really boring for the most part there's very brief moments of excitement at any given time in a baseball park i would say maybe 10 percent of the people there are actually watching it hmm and everyone else is just talking, going to get hot dogs and just wandering around. That's how exciting it is. But the last inning, I've watched that again. Mm-hmm. I've watched the last inning. Right. But anyway. Yeah, but not the whole thing. No, not the whole thing. Not the whole four hours of it. No. Because no. I know how it ends. Or like all seven games. Oh, jeez, no. <laughs> but this is Tim we're talking about. This is Tim we're talking about. I, don't know, I think the, uh, the inclusion of the sex therapist has... Uh, at least they're not arguing with each other right. too much yes. anymore. And at least they both seem to be on the same page, which right. I guess is... And it seems like they're being proactive. Yeah. And it's getting not... Getting somewhere. Right. And it's, I think, a learning experience for them and for the audience, as opposed to, ha, 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 isn't it funny? Tim can't get it up. Yeah, Timpetons. Yeah. Let's laugh at Timpetons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be, hopefully, getting to some sort of conclusion. ha. <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is Recycling Maria's Rubbish Ideas. <laughs> On Wednesday, walking to work, Maria gets a call from the council to let her know that they've approved of her idea to increase the number of recycling pickups or something. There's more glass that's getting picked up or right, something they're, like they're, that. They're adding another bin specifically and just for glass, which is a good idea. Hmm. I kind of wish that we had separate bins for everything instead of just chucking everything into into one. Although in the UK, don't they already have like four or five different bins? They for have things? A, a million different bins, and that I think is what Kirk and Beth's problem are about it later on. Is that just far too many bins because you've got. You'd your, think that they'd already have one for glass. You have your garbage, right? You have your recycling, you right? Have your uh, you probably do have your glass now. You have right, your garden paper. refuse and your paper, right? I wish we had garden refuse. I mean, we have our own um, composting unit in the backyard but um it's not great at getting rid of branches from trees though no because it's small we can we can load up our branches and take them to the place where yeah, they have to put them in the car though, right so and then drive them and then unload them mm-hmm. <sighs> so anyway other of us gary is there to celebrate with maria but she's had a call, another call to let her know that the, re- the recycling guys are going on strike thanks to her initiative because this is going to be more work for them. Which is just so fucking stupid and would never happen in real life. 
oh no one more bin oh no we're gonna get you know it's gonna take us longer so we'll get paid more no no but they probably won't get paid more they'll probably get paid the same that's what they want they want paid more for the spin right but if they're on an hourly wage and it takes them longer then they will get paid more yeah but that's not how these things work usually it's like do more in less time one would one would hope there that before accepting but before approving this that all of this stuff would have been talked out first oh but the council have already approved it right yeah yeah this idea that we didn't know maria had, had right yeah and again in real life all of the aspects of this would have been talked out first and everyone not just that, okay everyone at the rover seems to hate maria's idea and now they hate maria because now the bin men are on strike too they've come out in sympathy Gary gets home and Maria's stressed out of her tits about about Audrey from another storyline, but mostly this strike thing. But rather than burying her head in the sand, she takes ownership. This is her problem and she'll have to sort it out herself. Yeah, which is nice. My wife, says Gary. On Friday, in the rose gold flat, Maria... How long long have you been wanting to do a a Borat impersonation on this podcast? uh, Since I wrote the line, my wife, says Gary. Huh? In the Rose Gold Flat, Maria, it was also an Adam Buxton impression. In the Rose Gold Flat, Maria has arranged a meeting with the head bin man to convince him that the extra glass bin thing is a great idea. Is it the head bin man or is it the union representative for the bin men? Either or. In Nina's Rose, whichever one works best for you. In Nina's Rose, Maria thinks that Rosa Parks was a dinner lady at Wedding High. But Roy's Ha ha! Maria's dumb, so funny. Ha ha! But Roy sets her right. Explaining not to give in, just like the Rosa Parks that he was talking about. Yeah, in comes and gets the story wrong, but that's all right. In comes the head bin man, Jimmy. And because he's working class, this means that he's also a sexist. Right. He's a working class dude, so he don't... He don't, you don't speak to no ladies. Yeah, he don't speak to no little ladies. Where's your boss, little lady? Jimmy... <laughs> Jimmy oh, isn't convinced God. about Maria's environmental plea, so Maria has to promise to try and get them a pay rise. Right, because he's working class, so obviously he doesn't believe in climate change, because right. he's working class. Yeah, and the fact that Maria is so quick to offer a pay rise, that isn't going to come back to bite her on the arse at all. Roy no longer thinks that Maria is Rosa Parks. Outside the barbers, a man with a camera and a microphone approaches Maria and quizzes her about the environmental stance that she's got going. Thinking that this is a news interview, Maria is happy to give her her answers. Back at the Rose Gold Flat, Kelly says that Maria's interview is all over the socials, but when they watch it, it's been carefully edited by a talented soul, so it looks like Maria is saying that Daniel Osborne is a fanny. Max! Max has done the editing. Gary is impressed. Maria less so. Why is Gary impressed by this? One would think that he's, Gary would be indignant for his wife. He's impressed at how it's been put together. He's, he's looking at it from a, a technical point of view. Sure. Oh. All, that, all that careful time redeeming Gary just to <laughs> shit it out by him. He's been supportive in the past. I know. He was supportive earlier in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but then he thinks it's hilarious that he's... That this has been done to his wife. Yep. For this, it says uh, that she deserves to be in a waste disposal unit or something like that. It's not. It's not really that funny. No. It's, it's no cassette boy. Put it that way. Yeah. And then there's like her laughing, but it's not her laughing. That part of the video wasn't very good. 
Because it was obviously not Maria. Maria's laugh. Right. And it's just, I don't know. Apparently, this is going to get worse before it gets better. So hang on to your hats for more women <laughs> suffering at the hands of men <laughs> in a way that involves technology and women's bodies. That's what gets me tuned in Yay. three times a week. Oh I watched this shit twice. Just think about that. <laughs> what was I watching? What was I watching while you were watching it twice? Oh, I was rewatching the um the Doctor Who episode with Nick Frost to Santa Claus. That was nice. It was nice to rewatch that. Oof. I'm happy about one thing about this, which is that when Maria got elected, she was kind of a, a one a one issue stance that she was taking about right. the, the pollution and right? the environment, yeah, and getting doing something about the car parking situation on the street right. for the kids. Right. I thought they'd either get her to do that. And then she'd leave, or maybe she'd be so bad at being a counsellor that she'd just resign almost straight away. <coughs> the fact that she's... The bit that I really liked on Wednesday was when she's... You know, if you're dropped into a situation like that and you've got this sudden problem and you, you realise that you've inadvertently made things worse through your, I don't know, either your inexperience in the role or a little bit of naivety or a little bit of both or but because she, at the council meeting where you brought this up not one person said well we should really consult with the the guys who do sure, the actual right. recycling she's not the person that approved this she's just the person that had the idea other right. people have approved yes. it so it's yeah. kind of more their fault than it is right. her fault this is why we have a council and right. not just one council person but she resolved to fix it Right, yeah. She took the initiative. Yeah, and I like that. It's like, yeah. right, let's see Maria pushing herself in, in this field. Let's see her be super successful at right. it. Wouldn't that be good? Right. No, but instead, <laughs> instead we have to remind you that Maria is dumb because she doesn't know who Rosa Parks is. Well, she does, but that's not the first person that she thinks of when she hears the name Rosa Parks. The first person she thinks of is the Weddy, Weddy High Dinner Lady or whoever. Right. Which is yeah, arguably even worse than not knowing who... Again, again, you know, this is only done because ha-ha, Maria is dumb. Yeah, yeah. We, let's, let's remind the audience that Maria is dumb. She's done all of this great stuff. She's really redeemed herself. We're seeing her slowly, you know, find her place in a position of power. But we can't let her, you know... We can't let her look too successful. We have to knock her down a bit by reminding you it that she's feel dumb. Like there's a bit of that going on. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for it either. These things always seem Especially to happen. Especially this week. On class. Right? Welcome to the 70s again. Uh, the, the classic where Maria is just starting to go out with Tyrone and they're getting engaged and stuff and mm-hmm. the, the two of them are, are so sweet together it just makes you want more for Maria now Rem- remembering all that sort of stuff you just look they pushed her down a road of being you know man mad and jumping from one bed to the next for, right. for the longest time right. and being the one that she's the one that's going to break up relationships and she's the one that's going mm-hmm. to ruin marriages and stuff never a good look and she doesn't seem to be that that person anymore. No, she's happily married to Gary of all people. Yeah, but in the rose gold flat. But the dumb. Let's have, let's make her super 
successful. There aren't many right. super successful people at anything, really, in the show, male or female. Right. Debbie, maybe, but she got her stuff through ill-gotten gains, didn't right. she, by blackmailing and threatening. And so. Carla. Carla, yeah. We will always have Carla. She's trying to teach Sarah. Sarah's not really as good at it. No. Oh, well. She's getting there, though. Yeah. She hasn't fucked up in a while. No. Our next storyline is Game of Thorns. Wiener, 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 wiener. On Wednesday, <laughs> Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, is at the factory explaining to Carla that he accidentally defrosted the freezer. That's a great reason to be at the factory. Flooding the kitchen, and now they're going to need new flooring. But worry not, because once his settlement from Thorn has come through, he'll be able to pay for the new flooring, get it installed, rip it up, and then put down better new flooring. That's how much money he's going to tear from that bastard Thorn. Thorne plans to move to Philadelphia to take up his new job, but for tax purposes, he's going to keep up a UK residence inside Peter's head. Bravo. Thank you. Later, Peter still doesn't work at the factory when he comes into the factory with Carla's lunch and ends up speaking to Adam, who also doesn't work at the factory. And while these two people who don't work at the factory are in the factory, they talk about the Thorne case and the progress of it. And Adam asks Peter to come round later to discuss. And Sarah is keen to discuss flooring yeah. with Carla. But don't come to the factory to discuss this. No. Come at my office instead. Right. Later. Or Pe- my house. Peter and Carla go off to Sarah and Adams. Carla's nose is put out joint because Sarah will go on about her decor and how Harry's artwork is all over the place in more ways than one. Adam's news for Peter, though, is that there's not enough evidence, and what evidence there is, is hearsay, so he doesn't really have a case against Thorne, after all. Well, who's I, going to pay for my fucking flooring? I don't understand how that how that picture is hearsay. That picture he took of himself with... Well, who, whose liver is it? Peter's liver. Is it Peter's liver? It doesn't... Do you have proof that it's Peter's it liver? It doesn't really matter whose liver it is. You don't take a selfie with a liver. Do you have proof that it's not a calf's liver? Yeah, because a calf's liver would be smaller. Do you have uh, proof that it's not a cow's liver? Yes, because a cow's liver would be larger. Do you not have evidence that it's a cow in between a calf and a cow whose liver is exactly (laughs) the same size as a human liver? No, because I'm sure that there are differences. I'm sure. They can't can't possibly be exactly the same. Well, I I, I don't think it's really the photo. I think it's the betting thing that is... There's no evidence that any betting came on other than the fact that Evelyn overheard something, which is Essentially, what hearsay Who? is, even Aggie, <laughs> even has nothing to do with any of this. So, no, so, not really, yet. so really, we we really can discount Evelyn's opinion from anything <laughs> to do with this. So, Carla thinks that he should let it go, but Peter gets on the phone to his whistleblowing nurse pal, but she also has no interest in helping any further. On Friday, in Nina's roles, Peter is still going on about Thorn and the settlement. That man is so arrogant. Ken is old and bored and wishes that Peter would drop it. Carla is younger and, is also arrogant. and bored and wants him to drop it too. But Peter thinks that Simon could do a social media pylon right. and storms off to meet the plots in a different storyline. What? what does Peter think social media is? It's like, I'm going to get Simon to do something on that social media. What? That's something you would think Ken would say. Right. Not Peter, who is younger. And maybe knows something. At least a bit more savvy, right? <laughs> but 20 years ago, Ken was sitting in 
Roy Rolls on a laptop the size of this room <laughs> type in his novel. <laughs> Ken and Simon are going through some of Ken's old newspaper clippings, all so that Ken can find his, own, his old dictaphone. In comes Peter and Ken and Simon both advise Peter to just fucking drop it with the thorn chart, but Peter is determined to get a confession out with the man who saved his life. In the community garden, Peter... There, there's also a discussion about... about uh, how Peter wanted to have a bar and Ken didn't want him to and that made the papers of the bistro that ended up being the bistro it made the papers did Ken write that article himself old man shouts at son <laughs> how long have you been keeping that in your pocket so the actual article uh huh the actual uh, newspaper right Michael Adams, who worked on the show, uh-huh. has it and has it signed by... And framed. Right. And it's great. Yeah. But it's 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 close. The, the, the picture's big enough that you can read what the article says. Uh-huh. Somebody had to sit and write that article because people like me <laughs> would... Years in the future. Would zoom in on it and read it. Right. right. Because 20 years ago, you wouldn't have the technology to do that. Right. So... <clears throat> Unless you... Burned it on a DVD. In the community garden, Peter meets up with Thorne, who is only there out of a mild interest to see what pish Peter is going to spout about an offer next. Thorne knows that there is no case against him and knows that Peter doesn't have any bargaining chips, but when he arrived, Peter was looking kind of shifty when Thorne came round the corner and was fumbling about with his phone. Peter wants an apology for what he did, but Thorne knows that Peter is recording the conversation on his phone, which he obviously is. Peter says Thorne deserves to be punished for what he did. Thorne says that he got a taste for the gambling now, and he even calls it Game of Thorns, to which Peter reveals that he was recording a conversation on the dictaphone too. Double whammy. Right. And he seems to he seems to think that gambling is is a widespread problem in the United States that you could just gamble anywhere in this country where there's like four states where it's legal to gamble. Oh, well, it's, it's more now. But still. It used to be. Yeah, I used to like, I think I've said this before, I used to like putting on a, a coupon on a Saturday morning and put a bet on the on the games right. that I was going to watch. And you can't do that here. Or you couldn't do that here. No. You can do it now. Well, you can do it now here, but there's still lots of... Lots of states where it's still illegal. Right. And the funny thing is that now I can do it, I don't really do it. Right. Thorne offers five grand to get the tape back. Five grand? Did I say five grand? Ten grand. Peter reckons that's an hour's worth of work in the States. And he's taken... (laughs) And he's taken the tape to the authorities. Thorne shouts, 100 grand at Peter, as Peter storms off. What have you done? Asks Carla, who appears out of nowhere. One says Peter. That's quite a nice shot as Peter was walking away there. Yeah. But this is ridiculous. Do, do you think this is over? Uh, probably not. Because now Thorne, who has threatened uh, some kind of retribution if Peter was to act in this way, is probably now going to be spurred into doing that. So what is what's Thorne's retali- retaliation going to be? If he's getting paid... 10 grand an hour. Ten grand an hour? Well, that's what Peter thinks he's getting paid in the States. That's an hour's worth of work. What can you buy with that 10 grand? How many hitmen or people called 
titch <laughs> can you employ to kick fuck out of an old drunken sailor mm. early in the morning? Ooh, ooh. What if he what if he hires Gay Mick to do it? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. We get to see Gay Mick again. I've, I don't want to see Gay Mick in this storyline. He has uh. no business being in this storyline. Like he's a hitman, isn't he? No, he was a thug. He was just a, in fact, he was like a, a head honcho thug. Right. So he gets paid to beat the shit out of people. No, he gets paid to get people. <clears throat> he gets paid to pay people to beat shit out no, of people. I suppose. Gay Mick doesn't do any of that. Right. Gay Mick doesn't get his hands dirty. No. It's Gay Mick. He's got a husband and a child now. Yeah, and wonderful fingernails. <laughs> We miss you, Gabek. Come back. Really do. Bring Fish Guy with you. Yeah. Is is that? I haven't watched it yet, but I have a movie to watch that involves a fishmonger. There's a fishmonger on the cover, and he's wearing the same hat as Fish Guy. Yeah. Is that just like regulation standard, standard uniform fish. for, yep. for a, fish a fish guy? Yeah. If you see somebody walking down the street wearing that, you go, "There's a fishmonger." Maybe a butcher, but probably a fishmonger. Isn't a butcher more like circular instead of pointy? No, that's a chef that you're thinking of. No, those are poofy. Again, you're thinking doing of, hand well, motions. You're that... thinking of a policeman. <laughs> that's what you're thinking of. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was kind of happy that Peter wasn't getting satisfaction here. Yeah. I was. I mean, it wasn't a big deal for me, but the fact that. It was so on his tits all the time. I was quite enjoying that. Yeah. And for his arrogance, I kind of liked Thorn. I liked how Thorn just didn't give a fuck. Did not have a solitary fuck to give. Not one. I kind of liked that. Hmm. I didn't. I thought he was a dick. Oh, he's a dick. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely a dick. But yeah, I thought it kind of worked. And I've dealt with doctors like that who are all smarmy and think that they're God. Mm-hmm. So. But he at least wasn't even pretending not to be that. No, it's true. Uh, he did his job well, apparently. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, our penultimate storyline is Bully for Sean. Just a few scenes about this on Friday. Uh, Eileen's a cupboard door is ready to drop off. Frank offers to look at it, but Sean is keen to leave so the two of them can be deplorable together somewhere else. Mm. Sean notices that George hasn't been around lately. Isn't that interesting? But hasn't worked mm. out why. When they leave, George comes bounding down the stairs from doing a shite or something, and Eileen is unhappy that George seems to be happy mm-hmm. to continue this charade of hiding right. from Frank and Sean. Yes, yes, because he's acting like he's still 12. R- correct. And not a, a grown-ass man. Right. And then there's roles. Todd gets George to check on an order of service for him. And George nips off to do that, which allows Eileen to explain to Todd about George and Frank, asking him to try and sway George to a more sensible position of being able to put the past behind him. Todd is agreeable, but wants more detail. Mm. And Eileen, I think, is more than happy to give it. Yeah. So back home, Todd has fixed the cupboard door and given George credit. And George is like, well, if that's that's what you're doing for me, I can't wait to hear what you want to speak to me about. And Todd says that he has some ideas on how to deal with Frank if he really is a bully. George insists that he is. Mm-hmm. And Todd's idea is to catch him in the act. How do we do that, says George. You leave that to me, says Todd. Exactly like that. Yeah. 
how is this going to work? Because I don't think he really is a bully anymore. No, he's, totally, yes. he's just like an adult man. Mm-hmm. People who bullied me in school are not bullies anymore. In fact, a lot of them, and this would be really interesting if this occurred. I was just thinking about this this morning before, before we started recording. A friend of mine was relentlessly bullied by this other girl, like relentlessly bullied. And it was kind of tough because I was kind of friends with both of them. Um, and it turns out in later years, the bully came out and admitted that an awful lot of the bullying she did was specifically towards girls that she was attracted to. And she hated them for the feelings that she hated in herself right. and was projecting onto them. Yep. And I'm wondering if that's what's happened here. It would be interesting if that's what's happened here, since we know that, what's his name? Frank. Frank. We know Frank is gay. We, we have some clues. Yes. He is dating Sean, after all. Clue number one. <laughs> so it would be, inter- it, what would be really nice and interesting is if, you know, Frank and George, two responsible, grown-up adult men, were able to sit together and for Frank to come to some sort of realization that it was because he was a closeted young man who had feelings for George. And that's what made him bully him because he hated the homosexuality himself. That would be an interesting storyline. That would be a thoughtful storyline that would be opening up both of these characters and the show to aspects of what the homosexual community went through in the 70s and 80s. And yeah, the 70s and 80s, they, these are these are not young men. Um, and and how things are slightly different now. And, you know, and also aspects of, of bullying and how bullies. Bullies don't bullies aren't born bullies, you know. And, and everything. That would be really interesting. Instead, it seems like we're going to get another one of Todd's weird... He's going to hire that kid again, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Will. Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely against that. Mm-hmm. Because something has to happen to get to the part that you're talking about. Right. And if, so long as there is something on the on the end of it, mm-hmm. I'm, I kind of miss old scheming Todd scheming for for more I don't know not really wholesome reasons but they're better reasons than they were before right it's not for himself it's for someone else right I think I think I can live with that which he kind of did to get his mum and George together in the first place right yeah I'm 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 here for that and I'm Mm. I'm here for that um if that's how the storyline goes yeah I think that would be an interesting way to, to yeah. examine this and get some closure for for the pair of them. Yes, writers get on it. Because I think I don't think Frank is I don't think Frank is a bully now. No, as you've said, and I don't think Frank is the sort of character that you just want in it for right like half a dozen episodes. Right. While there has to be a, a better a better purpose for him. I right. think, or it seems that there's a better purpose for him, and having him in the longer term would probably be um, an acceptable route to go down but, right. but to do that we have to get some closure on this and that seems like a, as good a way as any to make right. him a, a decent character because he seems like a decent guy right 
Yeah. The only thing that we have as evidence that maybe that's not the case is just him humming a song. Right. And humming a song when Which was he, absent-mindedly, right? Right, was, yeah. He didn't even think George was around him at the time to right. hear. It was just kind of, yeah, all of muscle this is memory. In, all of this is in George's head. Right. To, to some degree, right? Right, yeah. And I'm not trying to negate George's feelings in all of this. Because, as I said, I was bullied quite relentlessly as a child. So I get, I get that you still have, that, 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 that affects the adult that you become. Yeah, and you and, still want closure for it. Right, yeah. But this is not the way. To- <laughs> right. Our final storyline this morning is Tim's mum about the house. It kind of has to be, doesn't it? She shows up. Those are the rules that we've we've applied to ourselves. Inexplicably, she shows up. She doesn't live there anymore. Why is she there? Maybe she has a little haw-hee-haw with another character who just shows up there. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, I was thinking that that's, that's where they're headed. Well, we'll get there. And I'm not happy about it. Because I still want Bayan. Right, yeah, I still want her to anyway, hook up with Yasmin, but never mind. On Monday, Gail is arguing with Shona about throwing out the cursed elephant. Gail insists that it stays, although Shona claims it's to blame for Audrey's recent turns. And this reminds Gail, and she ropes Shona into babysitting the old deer, but Shona has conditions. Which is weird, because elephants are generally thought of to be lucky. Well, it's Bernie's idea. Right. The fuck does Bernie know about anything? Well, remember, she, remember she's a hippie. Yeah, but she, is she good at it? No. No, there you go then. So Gail goes to throw the elephant out, but Marie and Pink stops her because it should be in the recycling. Gail isn't interested. If you care about it so much, you can deal with it. And she hands it off. So Shona's babysitting Audrey at number eight when she gets a call from the school about Lily missing a permission slip or something. Shona is about to run off with it when she remembers that Audrey is incapable of looking after herself. And Audrey catches wind of this and is not amused, insisting that Shona takes care of her business and she'll be just fine. So Shona leaves, and she hasn't been gone for more than five seconds when Audrey gets up, ready to hit the pub. Gail gets home to find that Shona has taken her eyes off of Audrey, and she's escaped. No guesses where to, says Gail, and Shona poo-poos it, insisting that Audrey can look after herself. So Gail tracks Audrey down to the rovers and demands that she stops drinking. The two of them struggle with a bottle of vino, which obviously ends up all over Gail's face. Drinks. And her 10% cashmere sweater. Drinks are on you, says Audrey. Ha ha ha. ha, ha, ha. And there's a <laughs> <laughs> Gail accuses Audrey of doing that deliberately and calls Audrey childish. So Audrey picks her nose and wipes it on Gail's 10% cashmere sweater. Gail goes home furious. Rita hears about the incident with the Merlot and turns up at the Rovers to make matters worse. I mean, <clears throat> to keep Audrey company and suggests that the two of them can get moolered together. And the two of them chat, Audrey admitting that she hates getting old, and Rita suggesting that they grow old disgracefully together. Grow old? Says everyone. Aren't you already old? Yes, grow old. Daisy catches wind of this and sets the two of them up with tequila slammers, Jaeger bombs and aftershocks. Pished, Audrey and Rita stagger out home. Because Daisy is trying to kill them. <laughs> Back and home. take their money. Back home, Audrey has a word with Gail, telling her that she's decided to move back to Grasmere Drive in a few days. She's fucking sick of being treated like a baby here. Gail doesn't think that she's ready. Audrey says this is a problem. Audrey is the boss of Audrey, not Gail, and you can stick your house up your arse. Right, right? up, up your, your arse. arse. 
On Wednesday, Audrey is banging on the rover's door demanding to get in. Daisy opens up two minutes late, which is two minutes of drinking time that Audrey's never going to get back. Rita joins Audrey in the rovers again, and Audrey is already half sloshed on G&T. Rita is nursing a hangover and is working at the cabin, so she's on the fruit juice. Audrey complains about being treated like a child at Gales, so Rita tells her to go back to work if she's looking for something to occupy her. She owns the barbers after all. Fuck them, says Rita. Which is what we said, but not like this. <laughs> right. So, <clears throat> Audrey obviously interprets this as, go do that right now. Right, and go do go work at the barber's cutting hair again. Later at the barber's, David is shocked to see the Thai elephant is on the counter, and then further shocked to see Audrey come in, and then further shocked again again when she announces that she's come back to work. She hangs her coat on David's head, and then drunkenly goes to work. Right, telling a man that he's got to look good for his girlfriend, or future girlfriend, yep. and never once considering that perhaps he has a boyfriend. She does call him lovey, though. So, yeah. you know, mm. six and two threes. <laughs> but David smells booze in her, reckons that she's a hazard to the customers and assigns her to the counter and the phone. She's not cutting anyone's hair apart from that bloke's hair that she's already cut. Right. Then Ryan is in for a haircut. Ryan's back. Ryan's back. And Audrey, who is now in the vino, gives him a beer while David gives him a trim and Audrey backseat hairdresses. And Ryan is there because Audrey mentioned Ryan to Daisy because for some reason Audrey thinks Daisy is still dating Ryan even though that stopped like six months ago. And later Audrey's trying to get her hole off of Ryan. <laughs> if I was 20 years younger, yeah, you'd be in 20? your 60s. 20? <laughs> 20? 20, Audrey? If I was 50 years younger? Hmm. Ryan takes it in good heart. Right, yeah. He's very sweet with old ladies. We know this about Ryan. David intervenes and tries to send Audrey home. She's having none of it, though, but as she wanders away from him, she trips over Gail's bronze elephant that's on the floor for some reason and goes, arse over tit. I've fallen and I can't get up. We're sending help immediately, Mrs. Fletcher. Is this going to make you think that you need to delete something? Yeah, just lighten upon magic here. Every time I hit that button, that's normally... A, a, a note for me later in post-production to cut something out. So hopefully you won't cut all this out. Right. Or maybe I will cut it out. Maybe <laughs> no one will notice. Audrey may have gone arse over tit, but she doesn't think she needs A&E. No, even though she's an elderly woman. Maybe concussed. Right. Did she hit her head? And let's not forget, the last old person who got knocked down by something and Thanks, landed Kathy. on their head... Died. Rest in peace. Dead Ted too. But she blames David and Kelly for leaving the ornament on the floor. She reminds everyone that she's the boss and she fires Kelly. And when David protests, saying, who do you think you are, Alan Sugar? She fires him too. When Maria gets into work, Audrey's playing foosball with Ryan and listening to dance music. And when Maria asks for it all to be dialed back a bit because she's got clients coming in, Audrey fires Maria as well. Back at number eight, David is explaining Audrey's behaviour to Gail when Maria comes in to give her side to add weight. Audrey's like a mum to me, says Maria, but you've got to do something about this. So Gail goes to the barbers to find Audrey singing Misty to herself. <sighs> Audrey's in no mood for lectures and promises to speak to David and Maria tomorrow once everything's calmed down and she'll <laughs> sort it out. Audrey and Gail manage to talk somewhat about Audrey's hatred of growing old and being irrelevant and out of control in her life. And it's going well until she goes for a top-up and Gail loses her patience, telling her mum that she's been drinking all day and needs to go home. She's drinking herself to death. Audrey loses her shit and accuses Gail and the family of counting the days until they can get their 
sweaty hands on her money and she sends Gail packing, informing her that she'll be going back to Grasmere Drive tonight. When? Gail is really upset by this. Right, as she should be, because that's not what's going on at all. In fact, she's desperately trying to keep her mum alive. Right. Not the other way around. In the Rovers, uh, an upset Gail explains how hurtful Audrey's comments were, and she says this to David and Sarah. Sarah suggests speaking to Peter. Maybe David could investigate if there are any support groups for Alki Grannies, what with him being out of work now. Speaking to Shona later, he refuses to go into work tomorrow, opting for waiting for Audrey to come and apologise to him. Back in the barbers, Audrey's ready to lock up and get herself a taxi when she sees Vin Weasel gets a fright, falls into the motorbike, which falls on top of her as she takes another spill. I've fallen and I can't get up! We're sending help immediately, Mrs Fletcher. Pished and pinned down by a heavy motorbike, Audrey politely calls for help, but there's none coming. On Friday, Gail is leaving a message on Audrey's machine. She shit nails with worry and begs for a call back. Meanwhile, David is still peeved about being sacked yesterday and thinks that Audrey has gone feral. Audrey, though, is still trapped under that bike. Which which begs the question, why do they have a motorbike? Yeah, I've seen that before, though. I've seen that before in Barbers. I've, I've seen it, like, suspended... Oh, God, no. From the ceiling. God, no. Or, like, embedded in the wall, but loose like that. I think the... And the, not bolted down to the floor. Oh, the one that I'm thinking of was maybe bolted to the floor, but I've been in a barber's that had an inexplicable motorbike in it. Right. Because the, the guy that owns it likes his motorbikes. Right. Which that, is neither David, nor Maria, nor, nor Audrey. Nor Nick. Because let's remember, Nick was involved in the decor of that barbershop. Because mm-hmm. he didn't want the weasel. Right. Or Vin Weasel. <laughs> it's plat family meeting time in public at Speeddal. Peter wanders in from another storyline to talk to him about alcoholism. David wants to scare Audrey into sobriety by taking her under the bridge and showing her all the meth addicts. Peter urges caution and taking things gently. <laughs> and that appears to be the sum total of his advice. And then Tim's mum's back. She finds Brian chapping the door of the locked barbers and insults his enormous head for about five minutes. He's looking for another trim because the last hairdresser fucked up his crown or whatever and then they hear Audrey crying for help inside. Yeah, but let's not forget, Brian was just in Trim Up North. Getting his eyebrows done, though. He was just getting his eyebrows done. That's true, that was just his eyebrows. But still, he was just there. Brian runs off for help and then a man with a Canadian accent arrives. Here's what's going on. Ohio. And, <coughs> Ohio. <coughs> and kicks the door in, eh? <laughs> the Canadian man is Canadian Stephen, Audrey's son. Audrey comes round as Tim's mum does her best to explain the situation to 999 without them hanging up on her. No, 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 it's an old lady and she was in the barbers and a motorbike fell on top of her. And she was there all night? No, really. Back at Speeddal, an intervention should be the last resort, says Peter, who doesn't seem to have anything else to say. Nick volunteers to speak with Audrey about what her drinking is doing to the family. And then Brian comes running in and explains that someone is locked in the barber shrink for help. And very, very slowly, the Platts kind of sigh, stand up and go and put their jackets on. <laughs> no one's really rushing to assistance here. No. Nor should they. She treats them like shit. Outside the barbers, the Platts are shocked to see Stephen, who wastes no time in blaming them for Audrey's condition. And she's taken off to hospital with Stephen riding along. David advises Gail not to let Stephen welch his way in like a Canadian on this. Right, because you know how those Canadians are. Right. He might be overly polite. 
to someone and make you look bad so by, said, by, by apologizing too much. So I posted on Twitter <laughs> that uh, Stephen had been back for half an hour and he hadn't said a about or apologized for anything and he calls himself Canadian. Right. Like, and Christy P <laughs> responded with, I'm sorry, but I'm outraged. <laughs> Which made me laugh quite Right, a bit. yes. And he hasn't even ordered any poutine. <laughs> ah, poutine. Poutine. I can never eat that again. Later, don't worry, I've got it for you. <laughs> Later, they meet at this uh, at the hospital waiting room. Stephen reveals that Sarah had called him, saying that Audrey was drinking herself to death. I was going to say, Audrey was drinking herself into an early grave. <clears throat> it's not quite that. And Gail was just making things worse. Gail doesn't believe Sarah would do that to her, but the evidence was trapped under her bike all night, like a barbershop evil Knievel, says Stephen. Audrey, meanwhile, is off for a scan. Gail offers to take Stephen... <laughs> I'm sorry, but were they supposed to have an eye on her all the time? They've been try- desperately trying to call her. She shoved all of them out of that barber's and then said she was going to go home to her house. Gail wanted to keep an eye on her all right. the time and she yeah. wasn't allowed to do it. Right. That's part of the problem. It's so unfair. Poor Gail. Gail offers to take Stephen straight back to the airport insisting that they take good care of Audrey. Thanks very much. Stephen accuses Gail of spending half her time in Thailand. She accuses him of spending all his time in Canada. Boom! Burn. Sarah it's a good ro- thing they're in the hospital so they can treat that burn. Sarah rolls up and admits to exaggerating the situation to get Stephen over for help. Stephen and Gail continue to argue a bit about who loves Audrey the most when a nurse tells them that Audrey has internal bleeding and she needs surgery. And they don't fight, but it's almost like they were supposed to fight over who gets to sign the, the consent form. So Stephen right. and Gail now argue about which one of them was the favourite. Uh, Stephen says, well, you had all the Christmases. And Gail's quick to point out, yeah, she was absolutely mullered last Christmas, by the way, which she was. And that was when it was, remember when it was still funny? Right, yeah. When was that? <sighs> Christmas. Hmm. All Stephen has now are regrets about things that he never did in time that he spent away. Outside the barbers, Nick wonders if Audrey fell over when she was actually sitting on the bike, which I think is a good, a good question. These are the sort of questions that right. you have, right? Yeah. What was she doing at the bike for it to fall over? Was she trying to start it or something? Right, yeah. Gail, which wouldn't be... I mean, she was very... very she had been drinking all day. She all was day. drinking at the barbers, saying, you know, it, even as they've explained to her, you can't be... Drinking and cutting hair, it's a liability. She was battering on the rover's door to get in at 11 o'clock. In the I morning. That that's when they open up, right? So, Gail texts them to let everyone know that Audrey, 80 year old, is out of surgery and fine. In the hospital, Audrey comes round and is thrilled to see her gorgeous son. Oh, Stephen, you're here. Gail says, How are you, ma'am? Oh, you're here too. And she accuses Gail of being a ghoul, again, just there for the inheritance. And she orders Gail to leave. And sadly, Gail does. Right. And yet, sadly, we don't really get to see the emotion on Gail's face. <laughs> Thanks to that hideous haircut that they still insist on keeping her in. Right. You cannot see her face as she's, I'm assuming, weeping under there. Right. Give Gail a better haircut, please. And that's how we end this week's episodes. <laughs> You know, I think that I like Audrey. No, you don't. But 
when you think about it, she really isn't a nice person. She's not a nice person. And she's never been a nice person. She was horrible to Gail as a child. As as Gail points out to Stephen that, you know, she was basically Cinderella in that house. Cleaning up after after him, you know, as Audrey praised Stephen for eating his carrots that he dropped on the floor for Gail to pick up. And also, you know, Audrey abandoned Gail multiple times when she was a child. They seem to be getting on better now that they're both old. Old, right? They have a kind of more of a friendship. Yeah. Or I think Audrey sees it as a just a friendship. Or primarily a friendship. Right. Whereas Gail still desperately wants her to be her mother. Right. And will never be. Oh, that's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. This is such a sad storyline. And yet they still they still keep trying to make it funny. They still they still keep trying to add humor to it. Like the fact that Audrey gets trapped under that bike because she's scared by the weasel. Mm-hmm. That's been there the whole time. She trips over the elephant, which we never see get put on the floor. I think we're led to believe that Kelly put it on the floor or something. Why would Kelly put it on the floor? I have no idea. The whole Ryan thing, you know, her thinking that she could, that if she was 20 years younger, she could get into Ryan's pants. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Ha ha. There were parts of it that were funny, though. Right, but. The, the a, evil Knievel line I thought was 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 pretty good. Fair enough, but is it appropriate in this storyline? Oh well, there's kind of gallows humor, I guess. But I think this is the sort of storyline that I was. I I think I maybe called for this. I was mm-hmm. I was like a few weeks ago. This was where I was wanting the story to go. That that looking at a an old woman becoming an alcoholic. Becoming I, 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 well, I wasn't sure if that if this is a thing, but I think it is a thing. Yeah, and from what I'm seeing, I think it, it's a probably a more prevalent thing than than society would like us to think that you have right. these old people who have nothing uh, else to do, have as little to do as the youth of today, right? Who have to just sit and get uh, out their their tits on on GNTs all day because it's it is desperately sad that you yes. expect. Or you hope that in your your dotage, that your life is a little more organised and right. and more focused on the the things that bring you joy, and not just spending your all your money and all your time in your pub mm-hmm. trying to get out of the reality that you're in. Right. At that to to get to that point in your life successfully, mm-hmm. like I've managed to avoid dying up until now mm-hmm. to celebrate that. By doing that seems yeah. just awful. Right. Just a, what a waste of the last bits of your life. And you know, even though even though she she kind of made things worse, I like that at one point, you know, it's Audrey and Rita together. And mm-hmm. that we see kind of a different aspect of that because while Rita is perfectly happy on one day to get Blattered with Audrey. She enables Audrey that day, right? She enable, yeah, she enables her, but she enables her from a place of assuming that they are in the same place in their life. Whereas Rita, the family that Rita has is the family that Rita chose. You know? Mm-hmm. She has 
basically her adopted daughters like Jenny and adopted granddaughters like Daisy Mm. that she chooses to spend time with when she wants. Yeah. I'm skipped to mention Gemma just in case she reappears, but you know, but does it? Yeah. She has, she has these, these people in her lives that she considers her children, but who also have other lives and other families. And it's, it's a chosen thing. Whereas I, I feel like, and she has a job that she likes and she has responsibilities that again, she has chosen. Yeah, she said the right things to Audrey, I think, that... That Audrey just took in the wrong way. Right, that is... Because Audrey is a different person than Rita. Rita's idea of growing old disgracefully could be getting pie-eyed on G&Ts and mm-hmm. tequila slammers, but then not drinking again for the rest of the week. Right, yeah. Or for the rest of the month or whatever. Right. But... So that that's the first sad side of mm-hmm. it that Audrey has chosen to ignore is that, that that Rita was able to do this one off, right, and then just go back into recovery and right. and stuff and go to work and, and, and have a life, right. And Audrey's not been able to do that, right. And then the the going back to work thing is well, this is what gives me a reason to get up in the morning mm-hmm. for Rita, literally a reason to get up in the morning to fix the papers, right, mm-hmm. right. So, so that gives her purpose. And suggesting that to Audrey probably isn't a, isn't a bad thing in and of itself, but given the situation that Audrey's in, it, it appears to and be... And who a, Audrey is. Right. It appears to be a bad idea because now you have drunken Audrey with a pair of scissors. <laughs> right. And bossing... Trying to pe- sexually assault Ryan. And bossing people around and firing people willy-nilly without consideration as to what that's going to do for the business. Mm-hmm. Instead of you know, sobering up and then going to David and Maria and saying, look, I'd like to come back to work. What can I do? You know? Yeah, the mistake was going to work that day. Right. While still drunk. that much. Right. To drink more. But again, that's what Audrey does. Yeah, and and she's been doing it for years. To be sensible and sit down and talk to them sensibly and find out a way to come back to work in a responsible way that's not Audrey, mm. but that is Rita. Yeah, yeah, because Audrey's life has been really, you know, going through the the, the classics again. A, a kind of marriage of uh, not really convenience with, with Alf, and I think she did love Alf, but a lot of that relationship was about Alf's position in society, how he was right. high up in the council and right. and the mayor. Right. So she was lady mayor, and mm-hmm. and so she was gaining the benefits of that mm-hmm. you know, sort of kind of weatherfield high society and then later on she's she's chased by fred the mm-hmm. butcher who's a, a, a man of certain means and, mm-hmm. and, and wealth himself and she kind of leads him on a little bit and mm-hmm. then continually uh breaks it off when he shows signs of being serious so she has this 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 kind of aspect of her life where she has been able to get through on the back of 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 others, right? And then the, you know, the the hairdresser is a is a success that she makes a success of it, by and large as well from the the people that she has working for her, right? But yeah, so she's found herself in this kind of really weird part of her later life where mm-hmm. it doesn't really have anything else because the it was almost like the the hairdresser was a hobby than a purpose, right? Her her purpose has been. Has been a strange one throughout her life. Right. And throughout it all, you know, 
whenever anything goes wrong, she just blames Gail. Because I think she resents Gail for being born. Mm-hmm. And also being able to pull herself up by her socks and, right. and raise a family and go through all the crises and right. serial killers that she's managed to get through and, and, and come out the other end. Right. And be at that age where she is still looking for something to keep herself occupied, right. doing those cleaning jobs that right. she shouldn't be doing. And being happy about it and enjoying it and and just loving it, you know? The way she's happily washing those windows with her headphones on, although I'm not quite sure they're over her ears because, again, that hair, right. you know. But, but by the simple act of being born, Gail kind of put something on Audrey's life that she should have been responsible for. And Audrey has always resented that. So now, you know, and because she has throughout her whole life, uh, as you pointed out, all of her successes have been off the backs of other people. At this point, she makes the assumption that that's what Gail's like too. Mm. And she's projecting her personality. Yeah. Gail seems to more or less get her joy from her family. Whereas Audrey's, gets most of her regret from her. Yeah, yeah. And while Gail gets most of her joy from her family, Gail is also able to say, right, that's enough. I've had enough of you guys for, I'm going to Thailand for a while. And is able to do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and still loves her family and still comes back and loves her family and still, you know, gets as much as she can from from just the joy of being with her family and helping her family out and being there for her family. Right. Which, let's be fair, that family takes full advantage of her <laughs> sure. when she's there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And she's, she's aware of that. She's but a that cleaner and she's a babysitter her. and she's, you know, she's, she's, ever, she's doing the shopping. Driving people she, around. Right. And then when she asks one of them to do something, they resent it. Right. Like Shona does with the whole watching of Audrey. It's right. Like, well, She's just asking you to do this one thing. Right. It shouldn't be that hard. I'm excited by Stephen's return, though. Yeah. I think it's this nice is, to have a different accent on the show. Isn't it, though? It's fun. It's like when an American stumbles onto Doctor Who for no reason. <laughs> Which reminds me, did you, did you see that no. Neil Patrick Harris... Oh, I did actually see that. ...is playing yeah. the toy maker in the 60th anniversary special. In Emmerdale? In Doctor Who. Oh, okay. So he plays a bad guy with lots of eyeliner oh. and a top hat. Good for him. No, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to see that. I'm enjoying this latest trend that we're kind of in the middle of. We're still waiting for Spider to come back. I think that might be right. next week or the week after, but that's coming soon. That's coming. It's a coming. And we've got Wendy back and now we've got Stephen back. It's like good that they're bringing some of these old... They're not, they don't even need to be well uh, loved, I think. it's just mm-hmm. It's just always good to see... It's nostalgia bait. Saw, right. And, you know, I'm, I complain about it quite a bit, nostalgia bait, but hear them, hear them all for it. Right. Because we complain all the time when characters who have left the show don't come back for right. reasons that they absolutely should have come back for. Yeah. I still don't know why Tim's mum was on the street, though. I think there's going to be a little thing with her and Stephen. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that wouldn't be bad. What did you think I was hinting that before? Brian. Oh, fuck no. Because <laughs> she's 
remember when she was calling his head a potato yeah. and a bean? I was like, thank goodness it's not just me that says these <laughs> things. It's in the show now. It's canon. Yes, Sniper's Dream. She doesn't say Sniper's Dream, though. She doesn't. Maybe next time. Anyway, that was the week that was Coronation Street. What was your moment of the week? Tim and Sally cracking each other up by staring into one another's eyes. I, I, I really did like that. Yeah. That was a nice little moment. Right, yeah. And I I like the way that this story is heading where they're learning how to be intimate with one another yeah. without the reliance on sex. Right. I like the... Um, when the Sally the, starts the laughing line, too. The fact that the storyline can be... have gone on for too long, which I still think it has, it's good that there are little aspects of it individually that still work. And I think it right. worked much better this I week. I think I, there's a... You know, up until this week, I thought the storyline has gone on too long and it's ridiculous and it's not going anywhere. Now it finally feels like they're actually pushing it somewhere new and different and interesting, right. which will develop personal growth in both of these characters and i'm all for that there we go yeah that is then sally laughing sally giggling into tim's eyes it's a moment of the week uh honorable mention to kathy's ride in the woody last friday that we yeah moment of last week probably absolutely would have been our moment of last week because what did we have i think there was something i can't even remember it was so unimportant our boring moment of the week I want to say Brian, but I there's nothing really. No, for, for me, I think it's Max just refusing to have one redeemable feature. Yes. Again. No, agreed. Absolutely. Fair enough. That's Max it. is our boring <laughs> moment of the week. Yeah, it needs to go somewhere. It can't just be repeating. Right. Yeah. Right they need the... to take a lesson from the Sally and Tim storyline and actually have that child develop we... some feeling. We get it. He's currently a nasty bit of work. We get it. We get it. Now do something with it. Right. All right, then. Well, we won't be back next week. Maybe we'll do this on maybe Wednesday we, again. Maybe we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what... Our, we're taking microphones with us, aren't we? We are taking microphones. But we're leaving next Friday, so we won't see next Friday's episode. We might do something midweek. We, we might do something at some point during the next couple of weeks. So it's a... Very much flying by the seat of our pants schedule for the next... Literally. Until the middle of July. So we will speak to you again sometime soon. <laughs> I guess that's probably the best that we can do, right? Yes. So if you want to get in contact with us in the meantime, we are the talk of the street at gmail.com. We are at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Uh, talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.